This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Every summer, I have the distinct pleasure of spending an entire month with people from all over the world here in Dallas teaching the Arabic language, Quranic Arabic, the language of the Quran, and discussing and exploring the timeless lessons and wisdoms of the Book of Allah. We call this experience Quran Intensive. Please check out BayinaSummer.com That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H Summer.com to get more information and sign up. I look forward to seeing you here Insha'Allah at the Quran Intensive. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem يا ايها الرسل كلوا من الطيبات واعملوا صالحا اني بما تعملون عليم وان هذه امتكم امه واحده وانا ربكم فاتقون فتقطعوا امرهم بينهم زبرا كل حزم بما لديهم فريحون فذرهم في غمرتهم حتى حين أيحسبون أنما نمدهم به من مال وبنين نسارع لهم في الخيرات بل لا يشعرون إن الذين هم من خشية ربهم مشفقون والذين هم بآيات ربهم يؤمنون والذين هم بربهم لا يشركون والذين يؤتون والذين يؤتون ما آتوا وقلوبهم وجلة أنهم أنهم إلى ربهم راجعون أولئك يسارعون في الخيرات وهم لها سابقون الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين In the previous uh, session, we completed the passage which spoke uh, extensively about challenges uh, that are faced by, you know, the messengers of Allah, the prophets of Allah, alayhim salatu wasalam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by means of presenting that and talking about that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided consolation and comfort to the messenger of Allah, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasalam. The next passage that we're inshallah going to study here is from Ayahs 51 through 67. Inshallah, we should be getting about halfway through that passage today or may, hopefully a little bit more than that, inshallah. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this particular passage is going to talk about what the criteria for success actually is. So now that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has laid out what leads to failure and the type of conduct and the type of behavior that leads to failure as observed uh, in nation after nation after nation throughout human history. 
Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will present what does success look like. That we know what not to do, but now what are we supposed to do? And what exactly is that outcome of success? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is what's presented within these ayats. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in ayah number 51 from where we're starting, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, a brief translation of which is, uh, O messengers, eat good things and do good deeds. I am well aware of what you do. Ya ayyuhar rusulu, kulu tayyibati wa'amalu salihan, inni bima ta'amaluna alim. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here addresses all the messengers. Now, if we follow, many of the mufassirun have com- commented on this uh, particular uh, you know, idea that who is exactly addressed when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhar rusulu. Of course it seems like, well why don't we just go with the obvious Allah is speaking to all the messengers. That's there, but at the same time, many of the Mufassirun like Razi and Ibn Ashud and others say, if you are reading the sequence, if you're reading these ayat and sequence, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about, name certain prophets like Nuh, Musa, Harun, Isa alayhim salam But overall, there's, there was a certain sequence that Allah was talking about. There was Nuh alayhi salam, those early nations after Nuh alayhi salam, the people who were destroyed. Then Allah mentioned Musa and Harun alayhi salam, Banu Israel. And then you have the conclusion of Banu Israel mentioned by Isa alayhi salam. The next prophet or messenger in line, as the Prophet ﷺ says in an authentic narration, um, that is found in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, that there were no prophets sent between Isa alayhi salam and Muhammad ﷺ. There were no prophets sent between them. And in fact, um, according to some scholars, again, this is based off of a lot of the Israeliyat, that that quite possibly could have been the largest gap in which no prophets were sent. So now it is also fair to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Ya ayyuhar rusul. So yes, He's speaking to all the messengers, but there is a specific focus towards Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we're going to see the switch in the tone, and even the switch grammatically, that's going to demonstrate the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now more intimately and personally addressing Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's why we as the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because whenever Allah speaks to a prophet or a messenger, He's also speaking to the followers, the ummah of that prophet or messenger through Him. As we know within the Qur'an. So as the Prophet ﷺ, obviously this is addressing him a little bit more personally, we need to also pay attention to this a little more personally as the Ummah of Muhammad ﷺ. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhar rusul, O messengers, Kulu minat tayyibat. Kulu minat tayyibat. Now kulu is the fi'il, the verb, which means eat. U'kulu actually is the original form, but then the abbreviated version is kulu. Kulu, eat. This is the command form, the imperative form. It's a, it's a command verb. Fi'al. Fi'alul amr. And as we talked about in grammar class, it's not necessary that every single fi'al is denoting um, obligation. Okay? So if we look at, like when Allah says kulu washrabu, right? That doesn't mean that when you read that ayah, it becomes obligatory to go eat and drink something. But rather, you have to read the whole ayah and pay attention, then you can piece it together. Allah says, Kulu wa wala tusrifu. Do not be excessive. 
That's the combination and that's the obligation. So here Allah is saying, كُلُوا مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ Now it makes a little bit more sense. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, eat, min is لِتَبْعِيد, it means from. Eat from الطَّيِّبَاتِ Now, الطَّيِّبَاتِ again, the brief translation kind of said good things. Eat from good things. So now to get into a little bit of a conversation as to what does that exactly mean and what does that exactly imply. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in another place in the Quran also mentions halalan tayyiban. Halalan tayyiban. Right? That not only just halal but also tayyib. Because some, some commentators said tayyibat means those things that are permissible. But if we say that tayyib is that which is permissible, then the other ayah, halal and tayyiban, we, we are left with two conclusions. Either tayyiban is just emphasizing halalan, and that doesn't seem to be the case, there seems to be a little bit more to the story here. Or it's redundant, which obviously could never be the case. So tayyib has to be something a little bit more. Some have said that halal, what is the opposite of halal, the antonym, the opposite of halal? Haram. So meaning eat from that halal, that which is permissible, that which is not haram. Tayyibat is ghayrul makruh, that which is not disliked. So the opposite of disliked, like there are some things that are not haram, but they're not favorable, they're not looked upon favorably, makruh. So then it would be those things that are a little bit more preferable, clear of even the makruh. Okay? That's another idea that some scholars have shared. Some other scholars actually, um, uh, Ar-Razi and Qurtubi and others mentioned this. It's very fascinating, the idea. They say that there are three qualities. There are three qualities that make something tayyib. Halal, halalun, wasafin, waqawwamun. And so, then he goes on to explain, فَالْحَلَالُ الَّذِي لَا يُعْصَ اللَّهُ فِيهِ Halal is that which does not involve the disobedience of God. So for something to be tayyib, it has to be halal, that's the first step. What is halal? Something that doesn't involve the disobedience of Allah. But then it has to take the next step. What is the second step of being tayyib? As-safi. Safin. As-safi. الَّذِي لا ينص الله فيه. Something that is not, something that is not devoid of the remembrance of Allah. Something that doesn't involve um, not thinking about Allah, becoming negligent or becoming disconnected from Allah. But you are mindful of Allah. That's Safi. والقوام, so that's the second step. Number one, it didn't involve the disobedience of Allah. Number two, in fact, it's something that is a consequence of the remembrance of Allah, like God consciousness. God consciousness. And then there's a third step, qawwam. Qawwam is, ما يمسك النفس ويحفظ العقل. Something that is not only, that's something that strengthens and solidifies the body, but it's also something that preserves the intellect. It preserves the intellect. So it's something that's healthy and good. Right? And so these are some of the combinations that at least the classical mufassirun are mentioning when they talk about the concept of something being tayyibat. Um, 
The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi So before I take the conversation kind of into more contemporary times, I wanted to mention a few more things from the tradition. Um, there's a narration uh, from uh, Ummu Abdullah, who was the sister of Shaddad bin Aus radiallahu ta'ala anhum. أَنَّهَا بَعَثَتْ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَا بِقِدْحٍ مِنْ لَبَنٍ فِي شِدَّةِ الْحَرِّ عِنْدَ فِطْرِهِ وَهُوَ صَائِمٌ So it was the summertime, it was very very hot. The Prophet ﷺ was fasting. So this sahabiyah, this Muslim woman, Ummu Abdullah, she sends some milk, some fresh milk, good clean fresh milk for the Prophet ﷺ so that he has something good and refreshing and nourishing to be able to uh, break his fast with. فَرَدَّهُ الرَّسُولُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ إِلَيْهَا The Prophet ﷺ sent it back with a message, a question. وَقَالَ مِنْ أَيْنَ لَكِ هَذَا Where did you acquire this from? فَقَالَتْ مِنْ شَاتِلِّي That I, of course, milked one of the sheep or goats that I personally own. And she sent it back with this message. That came from one of my own animals. Then he sent it back with another message. Where did you acquire this animal from? She sent it back again with another message. I purchased it with my own money. So then the Prophet ﷺ, he took the milk. ثُمَّ إِنَّهَا جَاءَتُهُ So she after some time came to visit the Prophet ﷺ. That I think he's trying to send me a message. He's trying to hint at me that this is something he's trying to teach me. He's trying to teach me a lesson. Very interesting style of the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And this is particularly pertinent for adult education. Right? Teaching adults. In regards to teaching children, of course, you always are, you know, just in teaching every, everyone, of course, you're very affectionate and kind and generous and gracious. Um, but particularly when you're teaching children, there's an extra level of compassion to where um, whether or not they ask, you still provide. Right? But when you are teaching adults, one of the very interesting dynamics that you come across is the natural kind of self-confidence and self kind of assurity and self-reliance and independence intellectually and emotionally that comes with being an adult. So a lot of times without realizing it, you know, uh, an adult that you're trying to impart something to is a little bit more closed off to something new. And we see this style with the Messenger of Allah The famous story about, you know, we talked about khushu' in salah in the beginning of Surah Al-Mu'minun, where the Prophet ﷺ is sitting at the back of the masjid there, and a man comes in and he offers his prayer, and after praying, the man is leaving. So of course the Prophet ﷺ is sitting right by the door, so as he's passing by, what do you do? Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. Right? Gives his salams. And the Prophet ﷺ says, وَعَلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامِ إِرْجِعْ فَصَلِّ فَإِنَّكَ لَمْ تُصَلِّ Go back and pray, you haven't prayed yet. سَمِعَنَا وَاطَعْنَا Right? You do what you're told. So he goes back and he prays again. Second time he's praying. He's leaving again. Again, second time. As-salamu alaykum ya Rasulullah. The Prophet ﷺ says, وَعَلَيْكُمُ السَّلَامِ إِرْجِعْ فَصَلِّ فَإِنَّكَ لَمْ تُصَلِّ Go back and pray, you haven't prayed yet. It's a messenger of God, you don't argue with the man. 
So he goes back and he prays a third time. Now he's trying to leave the masjid for the third time. And he says, Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. <laughs> Question mark? Right? And the Prophet says, Wa alaikum salam, Go back and pray, you haven't prayed yet. Now, the man, something clicks. And he sits down and he says, Alimni as salah ya Rasulullah. Teach me the prayer, O Messenger of God. And now the Prophet ﷺ explains to him, let me tell you why I said you didn't pray. You missed something. At-tamani'na. Right? You missed ta'adil. You missed, like you weren't taking your time, you weren't fulfilling the positions properly. And he walks him through the procedure of the prayer, and he says, حَتَّى تَطْمَئِنَّ قَائِمًا حَتَّى تَطْمَئِنَّ رَاكِعًا حَتَّى تَطْمَئِنَّ جَالِسًا سَاجِدًا Right? Until you are fully set. Standing and sitting and in rukur and sujood, fully set for each step. And then the man prays. Right? So, that I, I, I remember I spent a lot of time with that particular narration. That that's a very interesting interaction. Because again, from what we usually think about when it comes to education, is like teaching younger people, children, that if my daughter came home from school and said that, you know, imagine doing this, or it happening to your child, um, teacher gives them like 10 questions, 10 math problems or something. They finish it, take it up to a teacher. Teacher says, yeah, yeah, you haven't done it yet. Do it again. Second time, yeah, you haven't done it yet. Do it again. Third time, yeah, you haven't done it yet. Do it again. If my child came home and told me that the teacher did that with her, me and the teacher would have a parent-teacher conference. <laughs> my fist would have a conference. No, no, stop <laughs> But you get my point. I would be infuriated. Don't treat a child like that. Go do it again. Go do it again. Go do it again. You do it. Right? I'd be, I'd be upset. Don't teach a child that way. So then, but the Messenger of Allah is the ultimate teacher. He's the ultimate teacher. So why is he teaching this man this way? I thought a lot to myself, and of course the answer there is that because he's teaching an adult. And that's why you see that, and, and trust me, if you tried the same procedure with the child, the first time you tell him, yeah, you didn't do it right, do it again, the child would be like, what didn't I do right? They'd ask you right away. Because they're, they're still open. It's the open book, it's a blank canvas. Inquisitive. Wanting to learn. The sponge, whatever you want to call it. But the adult is kind of like, okay, whatever, dude, right? So that's the problem. So you see here that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, this Sahabiya, going back to the story, the woman who sends the milk for the Prophet sends it back with the question, she sends it back with the answer, he sends it back with the question, she sends it back with an answer, and then she's like, oh, maybe I should go talk to him. And so she comes to meet the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and she says, Ya Rasulullah, Why did you keep on sending the milk back? And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Bidalika umratir rusulu," that that is what the messengers have been commanded to do. Allah yaqulu illa tayyiban, walla yamalu illa salihan. That they don't eat except they don't consume except for that which is at the highest levels of purity and goodness, 
And they don't do any type of deed except that it's the high, at the highest levels of righteousness. And then he recited the ayah. Right? So this was a messenger, this is the way the messenger of Allah, nobody should take this particular narration and uh, try to implement that as a uh, course of action, as a procedure within the community about, you know, interrogating people. Um, uh, but the Prophet of Allah sallallahu there's balance in the guidance of the Prophet of Allah sallallahu The Prophet sallallahu says that an obligation of one Muslim upon another Muslim is ijabatu da'wah, that when they invite you, then accepting their invitation. So you see the beautiful balance. This was the Prophet ﷺ just uh, teaching the lesson that this is the position that messengers, a very difficult position messengers have been put in. Why? Because revelation comes directly to their hearts. Right? So that's why they've been put in this particular position. So there's tayyib. So we've talked a lot about Tayyib and I explained some of the different standards and definitions uh, of Tayyib. There's another hadith uh, narrated by Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, says, Ayyuhannas, O mankind, in Allah Tayyib, God is good. La yaqbalu illa Tayyiban. He does not accept for that, he does not accept anything except for that which is good. And God has commanded the believers to do which He has commanded the messengers to do. فقال, and He then recited, Ya This ayah that we're studying right now, ayah 51 from Surah 23. But then the Prophet ﷺ recited another ayah from Surah Al-Baqarah, ayah number 172. Oh, you who believe, kulu min tayyibati ma razaqnakum. Kulu min tayyibati ma razaqnakum. Eat from the good of that which we have provided for you. Washkuru lillah. And express your gratitude for Allah. In kuntum iyahu ta'budun. If it truly is Allah alone who you worship and who you enslave yourselves to. And then the Prophet ﷺ mentions an example that is a very famous narration. ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ Then he mentioned الرجل, the example of a man. يُطِيلُ السَّفَر إِطَالَةُ السَّفَر means his journey became overextended. أَشْعَثْ أَغْبَر His hair is all messed up, the shell, and his clothes are full of dust. This His clothes are dirty. And those two signs, his hair being everywhere messed up, and his clothes being dirty, what does that tell you about the man? Number one is that the man, he's gotten stranded on his journey. So the first thing that that tells you is that he can't, even doesn't even have the provisions or the arrangements to be able to take a shower, to clean himself up. And his clothes being dirty tells you that he doesn't, even, he doesn't have the accommodations to clean himself up. So he can't check, even get like a little motel room or something. And number two is that he doesn't have any luggage with him. He doesn't even have a change of clothes. He has nothing. No money, no accommodations, no clothes, no nothing. And he finally reaches his breaking point. يَمُدُّ يَدَيْهِ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ He stretches his arms out to the sky. And he says, يَا رَبِّي, يَا رَبِّي. Oh Allah, oh my master, oh Allah. But the Prophet ﷺ says there's a problem. 
He says, وَمَطْعَمُهُ حَرَامٌ And what's very interesting is that the Prophet ﷺ does not say the word ta'am, he says mata'am. And this is the second part. So first I wanted to explain the meaning of tayyib, how it's halal but more than halal. The second thing is I wanted to then qualify also what's meant by halal. And then I'll actually then talk about the realization or the manifestation of tayyib in our circumstances. So the second part of the conversation is what is the proper understanding of it being halal? He didn't say ta'amuhu haram. He said mata'amuhu haram. What that means is that maybe the exact item he's eating is not haram. Like it's not that he's eating pork. He's not eating pork. But mata'am is called mastar mimi in the Arabic grammar, in the Arabic language. It means that everything that's surrounding something. So ta'am, mata'am becomes all that which is surrounding the food. Which includes the means of acquiring the food. So maybe he's eating the most halal chicken on the planet. All right, he's eating chicken that was hand slaughtered by an angel. <laughs> Done, finished, halas, halal. Okay, we can all agree. Okay, so maybe he's eating the most halal thing. Maybe he's eating some, you know, to remove all shak and shubha, all doubt from it. He's eating some fruits or vegetables, which there's no disagreement about it being haram. It's an apple. It's, it's, of course, it's halal. But how did he acquire that apple? The obvious problem would be, what if he stole that apple out of somebody else's stuff? The apple's halal, but it's haram for him to eat it. It's halal as a food item, but it's not halal for him. It belongs to somebody else. And the bigger problem in our day and age is, I'm going to the halal store that has 30 different halal certificates, right? But the money that I'm going to use to pay for the food I'm purchasing from there, how did I earn that money? Did I lie, cheat, sell or do things I wasn't supposed to do? That Allah prohibited? That's problematic. وَمَشْرَبُهُ haram. Similarly, not what he drinks is own, like, that could be the problem, what he drinks is haram. But the Prophet said, mashrab. <clears throat> that maybe he's not drinking wine or alcohol. Intox- he's not drinking any intoxicants. But rather, he's drinking water. But that bottle of water that he walked into the store and he purchased that cost a dollar, where did he get that one dollar from? If it came from a haram means, that's problematic. Malbasuhu haram. Again, he didn't say his libas is haram. Do you know how hard it be for your libas to be haram? It's not that he's wearing a pigskin suit, right? That's not it. Material is not problematic. Malbas. But where did he earn the money that, he, that he's using to buy this permissible material? Where did he get that money from? Malbasuhu haram. Then the Prophet says something that's really, really scary. He says, Ghudiya bil haram. That this person's gotten to a particular point now to where his body is be, has been nourished by, this, by these impermissible things and means. He's got it flowing through his veins. 
So how could that person's prayer ever be accepted? And the Prophet anna, like he has regret, not dropping the hammer on him, haram. No, but he's, he feels bad for the guy. But again, that person's put themselves in this predicament. So it blocks the dua, very scary stuff. So that's the second component of this conversation. And then the third thing that I wanted to kind of mention, and then we'll uh, move on from this, is the realization of tayyib in our context. That some of the very valid, you know, things that are being brought to our attention now, some very valid ideas that are being brought to our attention now, is considering, you know, even the legal then the ethical and moral considerations in terms of what we consume and how we even earn. That's of grave importance. And we really have to consider that. That maybe how is this being produced? How are those animals being kept and treated? Right? And if somebody lacks compassion for the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet told the man, if you have no mercy in your heart, I don't know what I can do for you. But even think about yourself and would you actually want to be consuming that and feeding your family that? And I won't get into the details here, it's not my particular area of expertise. But even in my own little research and basic knowledge that I do have, some of the things are like truly horrifying. And it's unfathomable that human beings are capable of this. So we really have to consider some of the moral and ethical impl- implications of a lot of the things that we consume. That we've developed a very simplistic, it's very simple, feeble-minded definition of what it takes for something to be halal and permissible in Islam. Because if Islam doesn't have, an, have, a, doesn't have a consideration for ethical and moral values... We're distorting our religion. And it's very deeply problematic. And our future generations are at grave risk of just losing their humanity. So we really have to consider some of these things. The next thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in this particular ayah is, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا يَا أَيُّهَا الرُّسُلُ Excuse me. كُلُوا مِنَ الطَّيِّبَاتِ وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا And do good deeds. وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا And do good deeds that conduct or do, perform righteous deeds, righteous action. وَعْمَلُوا صَالِحًا Now, the sequence here is something that the, comment, the, the Mufassirun have discussed at length. Because it's fascinating. Right? In the other ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah that addresses the believers directly, over there too, Allah mentions worship after He talks about what you consume. In this ayah, he tells the prophets, the messengers, to pay attention to what they're consuming. And then he addresses their deeds and their actions. And it's really, really fascinating. And that's because the scholars say that this is as clear of proof and evidence as we can provide that what you basically consume will have an effect on your spirituality. You are what you eat. Right? We've always been told, you are what you eat. And we understood the value of that in terms of, you know, the physical component. Physically, you are what you eat. And then we eventually even understood that, 
okay, that has like some emotional implications. You are what you eat. Ethical and moral implications. But this has spiritual implications and that's why it's so profound that spiritually you are what you eat. And so not only the, the not only the, um, the, the ethical and moral nature of what you're consuming, halal and haram is the first standard, that that will have a huge spiritual impact on you. But from an ethical, moral perspective, tayyib, right? That'll have a huge uh, effect on you as well. And then even, then you can rise to the occasion, then you can rise to the level of basically considering even uh, the manner in which you consume as well. And we know that the Messenger of Allah wasallam talked about this, that he himself is the ultimate role model, and the Prophet wasallam, you know, would eat, let, he would not never eat to his fill. In the, in the Sira Intensive, when we were going over the Shama'il, it was really remarkable to read about the food of the Prophet wasallam and the eating habits of the Prophet wasallam, the eating mannerisms of the Prophet wasallam. He never ate... He never ate leaning against something. He never leaned back and ate. Never. Laziness, just gluttony. He never ate that way. The Prophet ﷺ never ate by himself. Never ate by himself. Never. The Prophet ﷺ would eat with like his fingertips or would eat with three fingers and the fingertips. Little. The Prophet ﷺ would chew his food properly. The Prophet ﷺ would not sit there at the meal for very long. And there's so many more things. It's just remarkable. The simplicity of the food they eat. Number, a handful of dates. He never ate very, very fancy, extravagant types of food. The Prophet ﷺ never combined like two, three different types of foods together into one meal. And the list goes on. Really remarkable. You know, a lot of times there's a whole conversation even about uh, meat. And again, if somebody's not consuming meat for personal reasons, health reasons, that's of course very, very valid. And we need to stop then guilting them about it. If somebody's not consuming meat for ethical and moral reasons of, you know, how the meat industry works, again, that's a very, very valid reason. There should be no guilt associated with that. The Prophet ﷺ did used to consume meat. He would eat meat. But you know, some of the commentary on that from the Sahaba says that basically the Prophet ﷺ the most frequently he consumed, he ate meat, was once a week. That was the most frequent. And think about how we eat something that was living and breathing at some point, walking and talking at some point three times a day. It's really shocking. Right? So where our standards are. So the Prophet of Allah right? So uh, talking about now, tayyib. So this, you are what you eat spiritually. And it will have an impact on you. So a lot of thought has to be given to that. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنِّي بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ عَلِيمٌ 
that I am fully knowledgeable, all-knowing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, of each and every single thing that you do, of everything that you do. And so this is not only just kind of a warning from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that this is not just encouragement, but this has serious spiritual ramifications. But also, it's part of what scholars extrapolate from the tafsir of this as well, is that when you pay attention to what you put into your body, then you are able to pay more attention, and you are more focused and considerate of the actions coming out from your body, now you are living the type of existence where it will now plant, it will solidify that yaqeen within your heart. Al-imanu ma waqara fil qalb al-amal. Iman is that which takes root in the heart and then the actions are a testimony, a testament of that faith and that iman. That then the heart will fully realize and be conscious of Allah. Another side point that some of the mufassirun uh, do mention here, that I, uh, like Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala, that I thought was worth, or excuse me, Ibn Ashur mentions this, I thought was worth mentioning, is that, as almost like as another, uh, as a second point, uh, something that's very interesting to note about this, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala isn't just telling the Prophet sallallahu that if you eat, then it should be from good, and then, you know, do good deeds. But Allah says, eat good things. Kulu min tayyibat It's almost in the command form to contradict, because who was mentioned previously? Isa alayhi salam was mentioned previously. And Allah, there's a very subtle ishara here that you can kind of extrapolate from the sequence of the ayat that what did the supposed or alleged followers of Isa alayhi what did some of them do? Allah talks about in the Quran, وَرَهْبَانِيَّةَ ibtadauha. They innovated, uh, uh, they innovated a practice, Rahbaniya, monasticism, right, being a monk. They innovated this monasticism. مَا كَتَبْنَاهَا عَلَيْهِمْ Allah says, we didn't tell them to do that. We didn't tell them to do that. That was never. Monasticism, like being a monk, was not a part of any sharia. Allah says in the Qur'an. But they innovated this. They invented this practice. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is directly refuting that by telling the messengers, you eat food. But what makes a messenger a messenger is you eat only from good. You eat only from good things. But you eat food. And that eating food is kind of... Um, exemplifying or it kind of represents the fact that you live life. Have eating food, earning a living, supporting your family, having a family to begin with, and so on and so forth. Alright? Inni bima ta'amaluna alim. Moving on to ayah number 52. So inshallah now from here, uh, we'll be moving a little bit more quickly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدَةً وَأَنَ رَبُّكُمْ فَاتَّقُونَ A brief translation of which is, This community of yours is one singular community, and I am your Lord, be mindful of me. So inna is for emphasis in the Arabic language, something we know very well. هَذِهِ uh, أُمَّتُكُمْ 
This ummah of yours. The very first thing I want to point out um, here is again the idafa, the association that's created. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving ownership of the ummah to the ummah itself. This is your ummah. You take care of your family, your home, your people. Inna hadhi ummatukum. This is your ummah. There has to be a sense of ownership, a sense of an ownership, not in the sense of authority, that doesn't necessarily denote authority, but in the sense of belonging, and care, and consideration, and concern. Ummatan wahidatan. So this ummah of yours is one ummah. Now what's very fascinating is that the word ummatan, in and of itself, already means one ummah. It already means one ummah. We know this, right? Ummatan. What's the number of the word? One, singular. If it was two, it'd be? Right, if it was plural, it'd be? Broken plural, don't try it. Alright, umam. Umam, alright. So, but it's singular in and of itself. So it already means one. So ummatan means one ummah. But then Allah says, wahidatan. And that's for emphasis now. So ummatan wahidatan means one singular ummah. One singular ummah. There's no separating it. There's no dividing it. Very powerful. So the unity of the ummah is being emphasized here. وَأَنَا رَبُّكُمْ And Allah says, And I am your Lord, your Master. فَاتَّقُونِي So be conscious of me, be mindful of me. Right, so there's two components here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the unity of the ummah. So the, the relations of the ummah amongst itself. And secondly, it's talking about the relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, sequence is something that just cannot be ignored. Sequence is something we have to pay attention to and we have to learn to really respect and study within the Qur'an. So when you pay attention to the sequence, Allah emphasizes the unity of the ummah then he talks about فَتَّقُونِي taking our relationship with Allah to the next level, which is taqwa. And that tells you that unless you can learn to figure things out with others, at least you put some work and some effort into it, it's at least on your radar, it concerns you to some extent, in some degree, then you're improving your relationship with Allah. There is the flip side of that as well. مَنْ أَصْلَحَ مَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ اللَّهِ Somebody who corrects things between them and Allah. أَصْلَحَ اللَّهُ مَا بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَ النَّاسِ God will correct things between them and between the people. What happens to that? Is that contradicting this? Yes, no, no, yes. So what, the way it works is that it works both ways. It's actually something that um, feeds into each other. You start off by first getting your relationship with Allah on track with prayer. And that will now start, the barakah and the blessing will come and Allah will help you, start, help you to start working things out with other people. Then as you continue to fix things with other people, you actually are getting good with God as they say. You're getting better with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you are fixing things between you. Because if we think that I can have a very good, we talked about this before, but having a very good relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by keeping my ritual worship on point, and having a few other things I'm very particular about, but my relationships with the people that I must have a relationship with, is broken, 
then I have a problem. Spiritually, I have a problem. That could come back to have serious implications and ramifications. And so this is something that we have to really pay attention to. Similarly, Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullahu ta'ala mentions the meaning of the word ummah here, inna hadhi ummatukum ummatan wahida, can also be understood as deen. Inna hadha deenukum deenan wahidan. Because there's an example of this in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Zukhruf, ayah number 23, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when He quotes the disbelievers, they say, inna wajadna abana ala ummatin. We found our forefathers on an ummah, on a deen, on a religion. Practicing the religion. Meaning we found our forefathers being a people who practiced a religion in a particular way. So this is, means your community is one community, means the religious community. The pract, meaning in terms of the deen. You have to be unified in terms of the deen. And that is how we solve the problem that when we talk about unity of the ummah, what does that exactly imply? How far does that go? How far does that extend? And it is not too take away the diversity of the ummah? It is not to imply that we somehow have to just become drones and clones. Right? It's the ummah, not the Borg. Right? That's not the purpose. But the diversity, the diversity is supposed to be there. Even the, the diversity in thought. The diversity in terms of uh, ideas. We obviously understand diversity in terms of ethnicity, culture, language, and those things. But even in terms of thoughts and ideas, that has to be there. That has to be maintained. Amongst the Sahaba, there was that type of diversity. But it's talking about in the foundation, in the religion itself. That's what's very, very important. The Prophet of Allah Wasallam uh, alludes to this in a very... Uh, again, well-known and uh, authentic narration. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu says, "Ala inna man qablakum min ahl al-kitabi iftaraku ala thintaini wa sabiina millatan." That the people that came before you divided, like actually divided, problematic, like their division was problematic into seventy-two different sects and groups, to the point where they became seventy-two different religions. Milla. Powerful words. See, this is what people don't understand. They say 72 groups. No, 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 no. There's a little bit of agenda that plays into that translation and interpretation. That is exactly the school of thought or a thought process that wants to stifle the diversity and the creativity of the ummah. No, no, millah. You have to respect the wording the Prophet ﷺ used. Millah means religion. Like doctrine. To the point where they altered the religion itself, the doctrine. To the point where they now created 72 different religions. And the Prophet ﷺ said, وَإِنَّ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ سَتَفْتَرِقُ عَلَىٰ ثَلَاثٍ وَسَبْعِينَ And this ummah will divide into 73. ثِنْتَانِ وَسَبْعُونَ فِي النَّارِ وَوَاحِدَةٌ فِي الْجَنَّةِ 72 of them will go to the fire and one will go to paradise. Wahi al-jama'ah. That's the narration of uh, Abu Dawood. But in the narration of Imam At-Tirmidhi, rahimullah ta'ala, there's an addition. He said that, that the Sahaba asked, Qalu wa ya Rasulullah. They asked the Messenger of God, 
who will be that one group that will go to paradise? And the Prophet said, مَا أَنَا عَلَيْهِ وَأَصْحَابِي That group which follows that which I follow, what I do, and the ones who follow what my companions followed. And that again is, again, talking about the foundation and the fundamentals of the religion. That as long as a religion in its essence is not distorted, it is the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. الَّذِي جَاءَ بِهِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمٍ Then that's it. And within that then there will be a lot of diversity and a lot of thoughts and ideas and creativity. But what it's talking about is when people move away from that foundation. That is what will become problematic. And there's, I'm not going to go too deep into this, but there is a realm. Even within the Qur'an as well, there are ayat for instance that are classified um, as what we call muhkam, that they are authoritative, and there's there's a lot of always thought for reflection, but there's not a lot of room for interpretation, alternative interpretation. They are what they are, and they say what they say. So when Allah says, ilahukum ilahun wahidun, there's not going to be an alternative interpretation of that. A lot of reflections you can extrapolate from that, but that saying... That your God is one God. That means Tawheed, one Allah. So there's, there's a realm of that and understanding of that within our deen and religion as well. Solidifying that foundation and those basics. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alludes to this other places within the Qur'an as well. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of references. In Surah Al-Shura, Surah number 42, Ayah 13, Allah says, شَرَعَ عَلَكُمْ مِنَ الدِّينِ مَا وَصَّى بِهِ نُوحًا وَالَّذِي أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْكَ وَمَا وَصَّيْنَا بِهِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَمُوسَى وَعِيسَى أَنْ أَقِيمُ الدِّينَ وَلَا تَتَفَرَّقُوا فِيهِ That the religion that has been ordained or has been laid out for you is the same religion that was given to Nuh and that which was inspired to you, O Muhammad and that which was provided for, given to Ibrahim and Musa and Isa, and that was established the foundation of the religion, and do not create divisions within it. The foundation of the religion. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the flip side of that. In Surah Al-An'am, Ayah number 159, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah tells the Prophet that's for those people who divide up the foundation of their religion, and they end up becoming different religions, not just groups, but different religious groups because of that. Oh Muhammad, you have nothing to do with those people. You have nothing to do with those people. Because they're dividing up something that was not meant to be divided up. They've gone outside of their limitation. They've crossed a line that should not have been crossed. So, إِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةَ وَاحِدَةً وَأَنَّ رَبُّكُمْ And of course, the, if you want to call it that, the sister ayah of this particular ayah, uh, is in Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah number 21, where Allah says, إِنَّ هَذِهِ أُمَّتُكُمْ أُمَّةً وَاحِدًا وَأَنَ رَبُّكُمْ فَعْبُدُونَ Over there it's فَعْبُدُونَ which means enslave yourselves to me, worship me, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And that's more foundational. Now this is talking about raising the level and going to the level of taqwa. Why? Because this addresses, started off by addressing who? 
the messengers and the prophets. That's why you have the higher level address. In ayah number 53, Allah says, فَتَقَطَّعُوا A very uh, brief translation of which is, Allah says, but they split their community into sects. They split their community into sects, groups, each rejoining in their own. So what does this exactly refer to? What does this mean? فَتَقَطَّعُوا تَقَطَّعُ Right? تَقَطُّعُ In the Arabic language means to cut something up as small as possible. أَمْرَهُمْ أَمْرَهُمْ means what they were given, what they were provided, what was for them, their matter, which means the deen, the religion that was given to them. بَيْنَهُمْ Amongst each other. And what that implies is that this cutting up and dividing up of the religion was, this implies, this word بَيْنَهُمْ implies, لِيَنَّ تَقَطْعُ الشَّيْءِ تَقَطْعُ الشَّيْءِ بَيْنَ النَّاسِ فِيمَا بَيْنَ النَّاسِ What that implies is that this was the result of infighting. These divisions and factions that were created were the results of infighting. زُبُرًا it's a very fascinating word. Very, very fascinating word. This word zuburan, um, it is the plural of the word zabur. Now typically we know, we translate this, we know this, that that word refers to a book, scripture. They divided it up. So that's one interpretation of this, that they divided up the scripture. They divided the scripture, scripture amongst each other due to infighting. This, and that meaning is reinforced by an ayah uh, in Surah Al-Shura, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the fact that they divided up and they fought amongst themselves after, مِن بَعْدِ مَا جَاءَهُمُ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الْكِتَابَ مِن بَعْدِهِمْ لَفِي شَكٍ مِّنْهُمْ مُرِيبٍ I'm trying to remember the beginning of the ayah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the fact that they fought with one another and they divided up amongst each other after the knowledge came to them. The signs came to them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The evidences and the proofs came to them from Allah. This is talking about revelation in scripture. What happened? The following generation after them is fundamentally riddled with doubt. And that should sound very familiar to us, unfortunately. They're, the generation that they leave behind is fundamentally riddled, plagued with doubt. And that is a result of infighting within the scripture fighting about the scripture within the scripture. To the point where you segment and divide up the scripture itself. So that's one interpretation of it, and that is uh, further uh, emphasized by the other ayah that I mentioned in Surah Al-Shura, in Surah number 20, uh, 42. In Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah 21, ayah number 93, Allah similarly says, Allah says that they divided the issue, the religion, um, they divided it up amongst themselves and they all are returning back to us. Meaning they're going to have to answer for what they've done. They're going to have to answer for all of this. Another interpretation of this that some of the Mufassirun do provide is very fascinating is that the word Zubur, as it's mentioned, Zuburan, Zabur, also refers to 
um, steel or iron. Atuni Zubral Hadid. Right in Surah Al Kahf, Surah 18, ayah number 96, Allah says, where He says, Atuni Zubral Hadid. So it does refer to metal. And from that, what's implied is that, فَتَقَطَّعُوا أَمْرَهُمْ بَيْنَهُمْ زُبُرًا They divided the religion up amongst each other, even though it was more difficult to divide and to fight and to segment the scripture, revelation, the religion, was even more difficult than cutting metal is. Think about how difficult it is to cut metal. To divide, to cut up metal into small little pieces. How difficult it is. How painstaking it is. How how much resources it requires. What's even more difficult than that is dividing up the religion and they still went ahead and went to all those lengths. To the point where they divided up the religion. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about how sad it truly is, their condition... كُلُّ حِزْمٍ بِمَا لَدَيْهِمْ فَرِحُونَ That each and every single group is farihun. Farihun in the Arabic language means like ecstatic, excited. Almost to the point of like um, beside themselves. Like overexcited. So they're overexcited about بِمَا لَدَيْهِمْ and some of the Mufassirun, they mentioned that bima ladayhim, what they have, is not the actual religion itself. It's their own distortion or delusions about the religion. So now they sit there and they celebrate themselves and their own delusions and distortions of the religion. That that's, that's their reality. That's what they've succumbed to. And that's all that remains of these people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayah number 54 tells... The Messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu and this is now very interesting, right? Ya ayyuhar rusulu kulu minat tayyibati wa amalu salihan inni bima ta'amaluna alim wa inna hadhi ummatukum All of those were plural addresses. Whether they were fi'lul amr, the command verbs, they were all in the plural form. The pronouns were in the plural form. Here in ayah number 54, it switches to the singular form. فَذَرْهُمْ It doesn't say ذَرُوا It doesn't say ذَرُوهُمْ It says فَذَرْهُمْ Singular. Right? And so فَذَرْهُمْ فِي غَمْرَتِهِمْ حَتَّى حين. So now where now the address has brought, been brought specifically to Muhammad Rasulullah A brief translation of the ayah. Allah says, So Muhammad... Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, leave them for a while steeped in their own ignorance. So let's go ahead and talk about it. Dharhum, of course, it means to leave someone. But then it doesn't just simply say leave them. It says fee. Leave them in something. And whenever you add that fi'al of leaving someone, and then you add the preposition of fee in something. That is a little bit more indicative and representative of let somebody remain busy with something. So when you say leave him in his book, right? Dharhu fi kitabihi. Leave him in his book. Meaning that person so engulfed within his book that leave him there. Let him read his book. Alright? So similarly, fadarhum fi. 
leave them in. Leave them in what? Fi ghamratihim. Now the word ghamra in the Arabic language, there's a lot of discussion about this. Um, linguistically speaking, Zamakh Sharihi mentions that, and even the lexicons they mention that ghamra in the Arabic language refers to water. Al-ma'u ladhi yaghmarul qama. So it's enough water to the point where it's too deep for you. It's, it's a level of water to where you're drowning in it. You can't stay above the water. Alright, so that refers to ghamra. So it, to be submerged within the water. So Allah says, فَذَرْهُمْ فِي غَمْرَتِهِمْ Leave them in there, in what they are completely submerged in. What now? Still, what does that exactly mean? So now we have to look at the word, not just linguistically, but look at it a little bit more metaphorically, and also look at how the word was used in the Arabic language itself. So when we look at how this word would be used within speech, when it has a very negative connotation, it's not a positive word. It has a very negative connotation. So whenever the word is mentioned, it usually refers to somebody kind of being self-absorbed, self-involved, delusional to the point where they can't even see the reality that's in front of them. Ignorance, delusions of grandeur, that's described as ghamra. فَذَرْهُمْ فِي ghamratim. Leave them in their delusions. Drowning in their delusions. فَذَرْهُمْ فِي غَمْرَتِهِمْ حَتَّى حِينٍ For a specific amount of time. For, for a time, rather. For a time. Alright? And we talked about before that حِينٍ in the Arabic language is kind of a more general word that refers to an open-ended amount of time. Just refers to a lot of time. And it's said in the common form, so it's not being very specific, until a time. And it's left it open-ended, and I'll talk about this through other ayat of the Qur'an, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best what that time is. But there are some uh, narrations um, that are attributed to some of the mufassirun, such as even Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which says, اَيْ الْمَوْتِ حَتَّى حِينٍ until death. فَذَرْهُمْ Leave some of these people just completely drowning in their ignorance, in their delusions, until their death. Because some people will only come to realize, as Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu said that some people, they're just asleep in life. When they die is when their eyes actually open up. But they just don't see reality. They have no idea at all. And you can't open their eyes. They have to open their own eyes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this in another, a number of places within the Qur'an. Allah says, فَمَهِلِ الْكَافِرِينَ أَمْهِلْهُمْ رُوَيْدًا that give them just time, because Allah says, I am giving them a certain amount of time. In Surah Al-Hijr, um, Surah number 15, ayah number 3, in the beginning of the Surah, Allah says, ذَرْهُمْ Leave them. يَأْكُلُوا وَيَتَمَتَّعُوا Let them eat and enjoy themselves. وَيُلْهِهِمُ الْأَمَلُوا فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ They've been given a certain amount of time, and soon enough, so far, soon enough, they will come to realize. Another place in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, uses the word, uh, the same word ghamra in Surah Al-An'am in ayah number 93, Allah says, وَلَوْ تَرَى إِذِ الظَّالِمُونَ فِي غَمْرَاتِ الْمَوْتِ That you will see, if you would have, that when you see that these disbelievers, 
If only you had seen these disbelievers that were so drowning within their ignorance and self-delusion that the only thing that will burst that bubble is death. Fi ghamaratil maut. And many other places, as I said before, Allah talks about this. قُلْ تَمَتَّعُوا فَإِنَّ مَصِيرَكُمْ إِلَى In Surah Ibrahim, Surah 14, Ayah number 30, that say to them, continue to just enjoy yourselves, live life like animals, because you'll eventually end up in the fire of hell. قُلْ تَمَتَّعَ بِكُفْرِكَ قَلِيلًا إِنَّكَ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ النَّارِ In Surah Al-Zumar, Ayah number 8, Allah again tells the Prophet that say, تَمَتَّعَ بِكُفْرِكَ قَلِيلًا Enjoy your disbelief and your ingratitude. Um, for a little while, just a little bit enjoy it, because you have already reserved your place within the people of the fire. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us all. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَذَرْهُمْ فِي غَمْرَتِهِمْ حَتَّى حِينٍ And inshallah we'll continue on from ayah number 55 in the next session, where Allah will continue on with this same explanation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that's been said and heard. Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasakfiruk wa natubu ilayk.